Once Upon a Time Unprompted Writing Podcast season finale, Izzy takes us into the battlefield, Erin tells her fantasy backwards poem, plus we have freelance writer and co-host of the podcast Views Our Own Misha joining us with his futuristic escape horror piece. This week, our writing prompt is Hear Me Out, Let's Add More Fire to the Situation. Hit the theme tune! Welcome back to the podcast. Hi there, and can I say hey. what a lovely theme tune? <laughs> you're you're going to get the same question we ask every guest on here, which is, who are you and what do you like writing? So, um, my name is, is Misha Alexander. I am a freelance writer and uh, theatre watcher, film critic, and I enjoy writing plays. I enjoy writing think piece articles and reviews of different things that I've seen, and I just enjoy the power of words and what they can do and the interesting ideas and stories that they can connect with. I'm a recent graduate from Warwick University, which is how I know your lovely hosts, and I'm currently taking a gap year before pursuing a master's. And as we mentioned previously, I'm currently the co-host of a podcast focusing on journalism and freelance writing entitled Views Our Own. Where can we find Views Our Own if we want to hear more of your voice? Well, I don't know why you would, but if you're interested, um, we you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts, and you can find all our links and all our information on Twitter and Instagram under the hashtag #ViewsOurOwn, where we tell you all about what episodes we're going to produce and what sort of work that we do. The first three episodes Wonderful. are available right now, with more coming every single Friday. You have a schedule, and I appreciate. That. <laughs> I love that we finally got a guest who has like an answer to what do you write like, I think when we asked ourselves a question in the first ever episode we all just crumbled like, I, I, I write I don't know what we're doing I've, I just I mean, sat down I, I and I wrote I've lied on enough time to call me that to be able to say it with confidence <laughs> So the prompt this week was, hear me out if we add more fire to the situation. Uh, how did you guys find it? I thought it was a good prompt because it's just a good idea. <laughs> it inspired me a lot. Just the idea of making a bad situation worse. I love that stuff. It inspired me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I really like the idea of taking a very escalating situation. I thought it provided some useful you know, tension and drama and narrative investment as you take something that increasingly gets more stressful and more tenuous for the characters. And that's very much the theme I lent into with my piece. This um, this did, did come, again, from D&D, because it's where all my weird prompts come from these days. It has big um, D&D energy, I'll say that. <laughs> it, it does. We were on a ship in the middle of the ocean, surrounded by uh, pirates who wanted to kill us, two drakes and vast amounts of fire and uh someone tried to throw fire at a pirate and then realized that it was a terrible idea when uh the lovely alex who we've had on before goes here we out we had more fire to the situation uh but then the ship sank so that dealt with the fire problem but we had a new problem which was drowning a useful lesson <laughs> to know for life i'm sure <laughs> yeah definitely if don't add fire add water and 
hope you can swim. <laughs> Speaking of being in bad situations. Lawless <laughs> segue there, going Raymond. with this? I'm so tired. Um, Misha, we're going to jump onto your piece first. Are you ready? Uh, I'm ready if the audience are. So my piece is called The Crystal Chasm. It's about a two-page bit of prose that is partly inspired by this J.G. Ballard book. I think it's J.G. Ballard, The Crystal World, but with a bit of horror and Edgar Allan Poe tension thrown in there. As Alexei crouched down to better steady himself, the narrow beams of light from his helmet shot across the wall of crystals, barely a foot away from his protected face. He had never seen them up so up close before. On a regular day, the mantra was always focus on the routine, not the product. Getting distracted was the easiest way to make a mistake, and even the smallest could result in disaster. But now he took a moment to pay attention to the dark rocks that stretched out in front of him in both directions. The surface seemed to go on further than any regular material, but deep inside, light bounced back an orange and purple glow flickered and changed drastically with the slightest shift of the porch light. He had heard that people back home had started using the fuel in art and clothing, and had laughed about it with his friends in the home life sector, like using oil for a shower, he had called it. But he could see the draw now. The colours were mesmerising. The low hum of his headset tore him out of his spell. Just above his right eye, a small message icon flashed gradually, seemingly floating in mid-air rather than lying on the wall of his protective visor. He blinked twice in his right eye to open it, and a small computerised voice read out the message from the operator on the other side of the wall. How much of the separator have you attached? As specific as you can, please. Alexei checked the thick red cord he'd been attaching to the crystal's face. He had managed to get it up ten feet by carefully climbing up a previously mined pile which had now reassembled in the cold air of the mine. The separating wire stretched back along with the crystal wall to the other side of the slope that he was in, only stretching up seven feet that side as there was nothing to climb on to get it higher. Stabling himself, he opened the keyboard on his left arm and typed a reply. Ten feet high on the left, seven on the right, connected. It was a risky plan, of course, no matter how silent the science was, and he wasn't sure it was all that sound. In the event of a collapse, external miners would place low-level explosives against the crystal face and at strategic points at the floor of the cavern, forcing the explosion downwards and shattering the crystal towards the trapped victim. The separator, with all the miners carried on their person, was a long stretch of wire with the intention of absorbing the energy of the blast and stopping the explosion in its tracks. A circuit breaker, so that the detonation did not spread far enough to risk shattering the ground on which the miner stood. Alexei remembered the explanation of the safety measure in the communal briefing, only weeks after a pre- sorry, only weeks after a previous collapse left five workers trapped beneath a layer of the dark fuel. As he checked that the final stretches of the wire were securely fastened to the rock face, Alexei remembered the arguments that had stemmed about this new imposed feature. The technicians had given their complete reassurance to all the mining staff that the safety measures of this strategy had been explored multiple times in computer simulations under all variations. The program had been able to calculate and test hundreds of possible outcomes in mere seconds. They had never been tested under these certain measures, and despite the assurances, there was something unnerving about putting your faith in such an alarming sounding strategy. 
on the words of just a computer. He had thought as much at the time. It was adding fuel to an already life-threatening fire, dealing with a mining collapse with targeted explosions. Now, however, what time was there to think up a new solution? Alexei stood back, targeting the beam of his light to the wire. He had already been down there too long. The suit that protected him from the minus 200 degree temperature of the mine was beginning to wear th thin due to the long exposure. Even as he slowly made his way back to the safety zones, five feet from the wire, he could feel the skin on his back begin to dry up. The hair on his arms and legs seemed to stand on end. The panic began to rise up in him, but he forced himself to remain calm. There was nothing to be gained by lo losing himself to the anxiety. He could get out and his crew were barely a mile away, more than enough time for them to blow the holes through the thick crystal wall that separated them. Then they could hoist him back to base, recharge the suit, and he'd be laughing about this in the canteen before you could say, the torchlight flickered. Alexei stopped dead in his tracks. For the briefest of moments, the light coming from the helmet lamp, the only means of sight he had, had seemed extinguished. Though it stood steady now, and again, the messenger light hummed lowly and quietly in front of him. We're ready. The sequence is set. Give us the signal when you're safe. Alexei kept moving towards the safety zone, his breath hot in the limited air in front of him. He reached a spot where the blast would have the least uh, the minimal risk and positioned himself in a crouching position, able to shield himself from whatever detritus may occur while simultaneously ready to move. For a small moment to say a silent prayer, and to also swear that if the technician's words were true and he got out of this, he would ensure that those two paid for no drinks that night. Ensuring that he was on stable ground, he opened up his communicator. And then, everything went black. Lexi froze, his fingers resting just above the keyboard that he could no longer see. He reached up, pressing the switch on the side of his mask to activate the light beams. Nothing. His eyes flashed around the space, trying to make, some, uh, make sense of something, anything, some shape. But all that his eyes could see came from inside the helmet, the icons and the measurements that seemed projected onto the void. Alexei found himself sitting down, the shock flying through his whole body. Why? What would change that would make... And then he realised he was no longer cold. The primary function of the suit, to keep him warm and able to breathe, was doing just that even on low power, by drawing energy from the non-essential areas of the suit. Unable to keep the panic at bay, Alexei frantically tried typing a message, but the words were incomprehensible. The symbols on his helmet only reflected inside the screen. They would give him nothing. He tried to stand, frantically turning his head this way and that, trying to remember which direction he had to be facing, but he had to stay still couldn't risk moving too close to the detonation. If it went beyond the wire, he was done for. The message icon flashed again, but even that light seemed faded. The computer's voice rang out again, impersonal and without urgency. Are you at a safe distance? Respond. Alexei kept his eyes glued to the messenger icon, just to give him something to see, but even that faded. The dark space surrounding him seemed to have shrunk somehow. He felt trapped more alone than ever before in his life. He jabbed frantically at where he thought the send button was, having no idea when, what he was actually sending to them. Inadvertently, he heard, he heard himself gasp for air and realised it was the first organic sound he had heard in... he didn't know how long. The silence seemed so much more present now. 
The only thing his senses picked up was the rustle of his suit, that damn suit against his skin like a cocoon of dry metal and plastic. No messenger icon could play this time, though maybe his eyes were blinking so much in the darkness he couldn't have seen it, but they heard the computer's voice once more. We're blowing now, get ready. The voice faded. The suit was drawing all the energy just to keep him alive in this void. Lexi moved, the only direction he could be certain of, downwards, sinking to his knees in an effort to feel secure. He must be safe from the blast. They would find him. He'd see the lights coming down, hear the noise of the cracking crystal, the sounds of wires being lowered. There would be something, anything, a break from this darkness, this emptiness, this, this nothing. Any second now. Any second now. Any second now. Any second now. I'm going to go and open a window. It suddenly feels a lot more claustrophobic in here than it did. That was chilling. Oh my gosh. The imagery is in that. Is he dead? Mm. It's... Is he going to die? Well, it's uh, that's the power of an open ending. Why do you do this, Misha? Well, I... I'm so worried about him. What, what, one of the themes that sort of picked up whilst I was writing this, initially inadvertently, was this idea of this reliance on of technology that you don't mm. fully understand for your safety measures. Like throughout, that's what I was leaning into with the whole escalation theme, like new things keep going wrong. And even when they're going right, the consequences of keeping the energy to keep him alive, but leaving him in this sensory void, that's what I was going for. Mm. And then with the open ending, you get this idea that maybe that's continued and something has gone wrong with the other side. Something's gone wrong with the explosives. Something's gone wrong to the miners. I said there is this uncertainty. I originally considered having an ending where they picked him up and it was only a few hours later because they didn't have enough to get through the initial rock face. But I think I decided that it's kind of more interesting to allow this sort of gap and uncertainty that you could leave, but at the same time you can't certainly be sure of. We're just going to have to get you on to another yes, episode and we'll get you to write a sequel and we'll say, right, the sequel must have a happy ending. <laughs> we'll just have Alexi going to the shops or something with his partner. The problem for this week and then Alexi climbed out of the cave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. He has to survive. He has to. I just well, love how much I could visualise how... every single image that you had in there. I just thought that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Like there's there's so much tech that he's got and it just it just it's not helping. It's not <laughs> helping at all. That is entirely not um, inspired by my difficulties of using my tech to set up a podcast. <laughs> tech is so we had, a, we had a good setup. I wasn't talking about your podcast. Oh, your <laughs> No, oh. I'm kidding. We're actually very, you know, technologically well sounding and all it's entirely flawless and you should check it out. Yeah. <laughs> you have you have fancy music, and I'm very jealous. We should have a battle between our podcasts. Who has the best tech setup? I must warn you, my tech setup in- includes a very judgmental raven, so you're on the back foot there. A ra- oh, is- go on, tell you- us about the raven, yeah. because everyone wants to know about the raven. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, a few years ago, I got from a- as a gift from a philosophy tutor that I had for a while, uh, this kind of it's not stuff it's this like 
toy prop raven that's on this like wooden perch and that's just been with me throughout my entire university career just sort of being on my desk looking all dramatic and glaring and now I have that as a writing partner so he can glare at me and encourage me to write better and tell me to stop procrastinating your tutors give you presents. Like yeah. yeah. Well, what can I say? The judgmental or gaze of a crow is a very useful tool in these modern times. <laughs> it gets you through. Speaking of judgmental, I'm very judgmental of Izzy's piece because it reminds me of the seminar I just got out <laughs> of. I was like, finally, I've, I've got out my Anthony and Cleopatra seminar. I'm free. I never have to think about it again. But no. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my piece is inspired by Antony and Cleopatra, just because I thought Erin would appreciate it, you know, a little bit of revision, okay, when Erin gets a good grade this year, it's all my fault, okay, that's basically how it goes here. Now for those of you I'm who not don't... write to you about Anthony and Cleopatra. Now for those of you who aren't familiar with the story of Anthony and Cleopatra, we're now going to read the entire play just so <laughs> <laughs> Can we? I need to finish my reading. <laughs> I'll give oh you gosh. a little summary. So, the, okay, basically, in Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra, part so Antony Cleopatra in love, in love in quotation marks. It's either love for each other or love for the power that the other has, or something in between. And there's a, a scene in the beginning of the play where Antony finds out his wife, Fulvia, is dead. And so Spoiler. I think it's interesting... Spoilers. And I think it's... Spoilers! It... <laughs> it's been out since the 1600s. You've had I mean, plenty of time to read it. I think it's not spoilers that someone from the Roman... Ancient Rome is dead. I think they're all dead. I, I, would, I would think. <laughs> Um, and so I just thought it was interesting that there's this character Fulvia who never appears on stage, never gets a si single line, but yet she has the whole a lot of the opening scenes talking about her. So I did a little research into the real Fulvia, and that's where my screenplay came from. Um, oh wow! So this is so your version of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead spin-off. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, <laughs> And basically, yeah, just taking it, taking a, ca a minor character and giving them a little bit more of the spotlight. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any context that I need to give for Fulvia. Basically, Fulvia is Antony's wife. Mark Antony is one of the three people who run the Roman, who, who run Rome, which is basically in charge of the world at this point. So, three people who run Rome are Octavius, um, Octavius, Antony, and some other guy called Lepidus and Octavius and Antony are starting to butt heads a little bit because they both want the power at the end of the day you can't have three rulers you gotta have one so would you also like to explain what you've done to Bisha in this piece <laughs> evil laughter um so I'm playing one character I'm playing Fulvia Erin is playing Antony's brother Lucius who commands an army, and Misha is playing everyone else. <laughs> and I have to so, give them all distinct yeah. voices, so I apologise to a plethora of people in advance. 
<laughs> You're a theatre student, you got this. Was a theatre student, I now have no academic backing. <laughs> oh no. So this piece is called The Commander of Commanders. Take it away, Misha. Exterior, a soldier's tent, stay. A soldier spits on a stone and runs it along his sword. Other soldiers weave around the patch of the grass he sits on. A second soldier comes out of a tent and tosses a coin to the first. Second soldier. Don't rub it in, all right? First soldier. She's making the speech. Again, already. <laughs> second soldier. Well, she'd at least wait until Lucius had her go. The first soldier puts his sword down and turns the coin over in his hand. It bears Fulvia's face. Exterior. Podium. Day. Fulvia. Forties. Stands on her podium outside her tent. Her hair is slicked into a bun and she wears a Roman dress. Lucius, thirties, sits beside her and looks out to the army that crowds around them. Brave men, I grieve for two husbands. Do not let me grieve a third. Every day the child who calls himself Caesar weaves another yarn into the web of his conspiracy to kill Antony. I... Antony's wife, cannot sit idly as I'm transformed into a widow thrice over. Win us Perugia, and you will be rewarded with fertile land. The soldiers cheer. Interior, Fulvia's tent, day. Fulvia's hair tumbles down as she pulls out her hairpin. Red linen cascades from the centre poles of her tent. A silhouette hovers outside. You have a message for me? Lucius moves into the opening of the tent. Oh, just you. When did you last hear from Antony? When did you? Monday. You? When he hears I'm fighting Caesar, his ally, he'll come back. Is this what all this is for? Your husband stopped answering your messages, so you're starting a war. No, this is my war. Our war. Fulvia takes a hairpin from her boot and strokes a sharp and lightly against his throat. Caesar will execute you if you say that. If we just had Antony, then... Fulvia drops the hairpin to the floor. Cleopatra treating him well. He's infatuated with her. <laughs> Good. Blacksmith enters with armour fitted to Fulvia's figure. She takes it, nods, and he leaves. Good? Yeah? You're losing him. The man who owns a third of the world... Is putty in my hands. Not your hands. He's making alliances with Egypt. He is having an affair. Fulvia laughs, takes the collar of Lucius's armour and pulls his face to hers. Same difference. She gently pushes him away. Are you sure he's coming back? If I can send him to Cleopatra, I can bring him back. You sent him? I've planted the seed, watered it with whispers of Venus personified. She takes two vials and fills them with red wine. Lucius drinks spills onto the red carpet. Oh, Mark, I heard rumours that Cleopatra invited her starving people into her home so they could eat her grain. She hands a drink to Lucius and sips hers. I've always thrived without a husband at home. Nothing against your brother, of course. You fed him to a snake. I fed Cleopatra to him. Now, as he, she conquers the world, Antony and I will defeat the young Caesar. 
And once the world is Antony's, who will the people choose to be his queen? The Roman wife who has unofficially ruled for the past decade? Or Antony's foreign mistress? And once they've chosen you, when Antony runs off back to Egypt, you will choose me to take his place? Exactly. They kiss. Exterior battlefield day. Fulvia rides her horse side saddle. She trots over the bodies of Caesar's forces. Her armors gleam in the Italian sun as she enters the gates of her Perusia. Interior, Cleopatra's palace. Night. Antony hands a letter to Cleopatra. Fulvia is dead. Dead. Fulvia. Can Fulvia die? Oh, I thought I had seething romantic tension with Izzy in ages. <laughs> A lovely romance scene. <laughs> Big sort of politics prequel energy. Yeah, that's just I I think it's very terrifying. <laughs> I just found it interesting the politics and how Fulvia she has three husbands and she uses each one as a pawn in her game in her game of chess. And I just think she's a cool character because of that. What what was it about Fulvia that you sort of found yourself drawn to and how were you trying to personify her in contrast to the way that she talked about in the original play? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think in the original play, she's personified as basically someone who Cleopatra is jealous of. And at first it can kind of read as, oh, Shakespeare's just making Cleopatra's one trait as being a jealous woman. But then you can also read into it and think, well, has Fulvia given Cleopatra reason to be jealous? Like, Fulvia must be powerful herself for a queen to find her threatening. So then I looked into it and Fulvia was the unofficial fourth ruler of the world, according to some sources. So I thought, okay, why is she only written down as Mark Antony's wife when she ruled the world unofficially? No, definitely material for a spin-off if ever I heard it. Yeah. She also just fought the first emperor, Emperor Augustus, just her armies against his. She didn't win, but to try is pretty. <laughs> you got to be pretty strong to try. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I feel very so- sorry, sorry for the soldiers outside her tent. I imagine they don't make it back. <laughs> um, I mean, she wins this battle. It's just 15 minutes later. I mean, say 15 <laughs> minutes. Probably a few days. I don't know. Accounts differ. But she she's allowed uh, to live. She doesn't die from the battle. She's allowed to live. It's just she dies from natural causes. And history is kind of saying that if she if she didn't just die of natural causes, then um, Antony and Augustus would have fought a lot sooner, which basically means we would have had a different emperor, potentially. Actually, a different history. Yeah, different history. You guys can tell I've done a lot of reading. (laughs) No, it's good. Is Augustus the reason we have the month August? He named himself after... I found out today. Julius and Julius, I think? Yeah, Yeah. Emperor Augustus named himself after the month that he defeated Cleopatra. Oh, I thought it was the other way round. That makes sense. No, that's what I thought, but my tutor said something different. If it's wrong, then that's not my fault. That's my tutor. <laughs> Check your facts unprompted. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> uh, speaking of feedback, I, I hope she wouldn't be wrong. 
I just bring it up because of the coincidence of timing. But earlier today, I was listening to a sort of like comedy satire retelling of the assassination of Caesar uh, by um, and talking about like how they're going to deal with Mark Antony and the various assassinations of plots they were dealing with. So I like that it's got a bit of like, uh, for me at least, a sort of follow through historical chronologically wise. Yeah, it's fun to just read about people and think, okay, how can I make this long bibliography like work on stage <laughs> and interesting that's my writing tip for the week if a character can't be interesting while trapped in a cave they're probably not worth writing about <laughs> right right you know what this is our because this is our season finale this is our challenge to all the listeners until next season yeah. write a piece of a character in a cave <laughs> send it in bonus See points happens. if you See do it whilst get. in a cave <laughs> Socially distanced, of course. Oh dear. Is he, I, I think you were going to do a segue. What was your segue? Yeah, my segue. Well, we mentioned interesting, and I was going to say, speaking of interesting, Erin's very interesting, and I'm sure her piece is very interesting too. Segways are just nailed on this show. <laughs> oh, I know. We're so good at them, honestly. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> All right, I have written a... Because I clearly had D&D on the brain this week, I have written a fantasy thing. Um, I've tried to write a backwards poem, which is basically a poem that reads one way and then you read it backwards. So you don't read, like, every word backwards, but you read lines backwards. I did one from my assessments and it was very fun, so I thought I'd get in some more practice. You were so glad that you found us on that frosty morning. You didn't want to return. Haunting taverns, wandering streets, searching for a purpose. We found you in your travels, seeking adventure. I was afraid your recklessness would hurt us. You didn't. You promised to keep us safe. You are brave. I was a fool to think the rumours of your temper were true. We are stronger together, not apart. Your spells and my sword and her potions. You protected us from harmful creatures. It didn't matter that your aim of destructive spells wavered. Fate. It's not your fault she lies unbreathing. I can see that you tried everything you could. It wasn't enough. Stay, don't leave. Forgiveness is a tricky thing for me, but I'm trying. Okay, and then you read it from the bottom up. I'm trying. For me, forgiveness is a tricky thing. Leave, don't stay. It wasn't enough you tried everything you could. I can see that she lies unbreathing. Your fault, it's not fate. Your aim of destructive spells wavered. It didn't matter that you protected us from harmful creatures. Your spells and my sword and her potions. Apart, not together, we are stronger. The rumours of your temple were true. I was a fool to think you are brave. You promised to keep us safe. You didn't. I was afraid your recklessness would hurt us. Seeking adventure, we found you in your travels. Haunting taverns, wandering streets, searching for a purpose. You didn't want to return on that frosty morning. You were so glad that you had found us. Erin! How did how long did it take you to put all of that together so that it made sense both ways and had different meanings? Um, what point did you I'll start honest, your writing you... from? That's my question, sorry. Mm. Uh, okay, first question, I'll be honest with you, Izzy. I wrote this while I was waiting for a pizza to cook and then while eating said pizza, so about half an hour. What? Um, That's a half hour, what was your question? What was your question, Misha? I was going to ask, did you start from a particular direction? Like, did you write it backwards first or forward first? Or was it sort of like... Did you find a midpoint in the poem that you could sort of divulge in both directions of? 
I kind of thought of the story. So one way it's they're trusting their friend and the other way they're getting their friend to leave. Um, backwards poems are kind of hard. It's a lot of trial and error. Um, one of the kind of tactics you can have is that you have a statement and then some sort of word in a negative and then another one. So I was afraid your recklessness would hurt. Yeah. I was afraid your recklessness was hurt us. One line. You didn't. Two lines. You promised to keep us safe. Three lines. But when you read that backwards, it just contradicts the, fir- mm. the third line, not the first. Oh. Um, so, yeah, it was just lots of trial and error and getting angry at the English language, um, <laughs> which I do on a daily basis. But... Fair enough. The English language is not valid. And this is a call out. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just start speaking something else now? Oh no. It's when I have to it's when I have to teach things like um like I don't know, like the word bought and brought. Two mm. like one letter difference, but they're a completely different words. Or you've got like practice and practice, where there are two different letters and they mean different things. Or my personal favourite, produce and produce, which mean different things depending on where you put the stress. Oh, I see. It's ridiculous. Why it's a bigger problem for me because I always have the stress everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Misha, when you spoke Wonderful. a different language just then, what did you say? You said I was anything. just saying I can say something else if you wish. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I do remember, Misha, that I did once try to learn how to say hello, how are you? In we should say to our listeners before and... uh, there is a chance that there may be uh, some Dutch coming up, so this is an official health warning. <laughs> no, I, d- <laughs> I tried to learn how to say hello, how are you in Dutch, and I remember saying it to you, and you just looking at me and just going, What did you just say? <laughs> because my pronunciation was so bad, you didn't recognize it as Dutch. <laughs> it's okay that I honestly like the Dutch is such a ridiculous language. Like, don't get, I'm allowed to say that I'm half Dutch, but it is a little bit ridiculous. Never ask for directions in Utrecht. Be washing your hair for a month. Oh, Dutch oh, listeners okay. will love that. <laughs> Speaking of listeners, okay. did we want to do like a few cra- congratulations? Yep. Um, so I was just going to say congratulations to Carrie for winning the Financial Times writing competition and also many other competitions. She's just won everything. And I've read her writing and it's absolutely beautiful. So congratulations for that. And then also congratulations to everyone who has been participating in NaNoWriMo and everyone who's been participating in Flash Nano as well. I hope you guys are all super proud of what you've done because we're coming up to the end of November now. And by the time it goes out, it'll be the end of November. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys are all yes, super proud of what you've done and had a good time doing it. Congratulations to everyone and to uh, all our writers who keep listening. I just hope you keep on writing. <laughs> is this is this just like this is the same Carrie that sent us a message the other day that got passed around the group chat in all caps? Like, look, someone said something lovely. Yeah. This is that Carrie. Carrie, that's what happened to your message. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, thank you um, to all of our writers on today's show and to everyone for listening. Uh, thank you, Phoenicia, for joining us today. Thank you very much um, for having me. To... We have... It's wonderful having you on. Um, to support us, subscribe to our Patreon um, at 
patreon.com slash prompted writing podcast for bonus content and shout outs i believe we have some stuff on there now Hmm. um and our youtube which is prompted writing podcast be sure to leave us a review telling us what you think for more prompts and writing find us on instagram at prompted writing podcast and thank you again for listening and as this is our season finale thank you to all the writers we've had on this series thus far hit the outro Thank you.